everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends, or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm here today with Tracy Turner, an entrepreneur who currently serves as the founder and chair of Copia Global, which is bringing e-commerce to the African mass market starting in East Africa. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited. I was telling you earlier that we have not had any topics on the show. We're like 200, 300 episodes in. We have not talked about this at all. So I feel like it's gonna be a great conversation, very eye-opening for the audience. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, well, it's a pleasure to be here and excited to talk about it all. So your background also, I was looking at it earlier and I think since like 2000, you have been in the social impact space or maybe longer, correct me if I'm wrong. You've been doing something in this area, even if it was building tools for it or actually having like being in companies that are pure social impact. So I just kind of want to learn about you and like how this even came to be like, you know, why this was such a big focus for you? Yeah, it sort of started when I was an undergrad. Um, I went to Dartmouth and studied engineering, but I had a really amazing professor who led a program abroad to Kenya, study program abroad. And it was the first time I had experienced the developing world. And I lived with a family in rural Kenya. It really opened my eyes to what the real world is like you know, without running water, without electricity, and how it feels to live on a few dollars a day. And it was incredibly eye-opening in that all the people around me were incredibly hardworking and incredibly capable, just sort of lacking in opportunity. And I, that's just always stuck with me. And um, I think sort of led me on the path I ended up pursuing, which is, you know, if you can create opportunity, create jobs, create economic um, empowerment. Uh, there's no limit to what 
people can do, no matter where they're from, no matter what zip code they're born in. Um, and that, that sort of guided me, I think, ever since in the jobs I've taken and career path I've chosen. Have all the jobs that you've been in focused on Africa or have you focused on other countries too? No, no. I worked in uh, like Wall Street investment bank for a little while because okay. <laughs> I okay. thought I could learn, um, learn a lot, build my sort of, you know, my CV and doing that early in my career. I went to business school and lived and worked in Bangladesh for a while at the Grameen Bank, also doing sort of economic development work there. I started a business in the States that was um, also e-commerce related essentially empowering NGOs um, when the web 1.0 days, when nonprofits were just figuring out how to build a website. So sort of been in lots of different arenas, but I think the underlying theme for me was, you know, if you can create businesses that actually are for-profit business models that wash their own faces, as people like to say, eh, um, in terms of a business model that works, and in so doing, you create social good, then you're really uh, swimming downstream. Yep, I agree. So how did you have this realization that a company can have massive social impact and it should probably be for profit to make sure that it actually operates correctly? Like, when did you realize this and why? So I'm pretty old. <laughs> And um, my only real role models when I was, you know, in my 20s and just sort of getting started in my career were um, The Body Shop. So Anita Roddick and The Body Shop and Ben and Jerry's. Okay. Ice cream company. Nice. Perfect role models. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were both incredibly interesting entrepreneurs, right, who sort of were pioneers in the whole idea of social impact minded businesses. and. You know, I, I like went to events and conferences and so forth whenever I could where they were speaking and I, you know, hung on their every word. And I think that now you see, especially this decade, you see companies of all sizes and all shapes and all colors taking political stands, taking so- social issues to heart, addressing climate change issues addressing Black Lives Matter issues, um, taking on, like, um, adopting stands in terms of, like, the Me Too movement. And it's no longer okay for businesses to separate their fiduciary responsibilities to making money for their shareholders from their role in society, making the world a better place. And that's a massive, wonderful change. Because if you compare investment dollars to philanthropy dollars. There, there just aren't enough philanthropy dollars to address our the global issues we face. There has to be leadership from the private sector. And even in sports, right? You're seeing lots of like the NBA and the NFL, they're, they're embracing, they're encouraging or allowing their athletes to speak out in the social issues they care about. So it's starting to become part of our society everywhere we look, yep. which is a massive change from when yep. I started my career. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely exciting watching what corporations are doing and the responsibility that they feel now. I know when I was working at Google, I mean, so many teams there 
were working on so many different things that would look like mini nonprofits. And they were getting funds for it and budgets and even like raising money in some cases. And I did have this thought like, are nonprofits still needed if companies are taking such ownership? And honestly, it looked like they can have so much more impact. When I saw the money that was going into certain things, I'm like, these companies can instantly impact a problem and have the smartest people working on it and excited and incentivized. I mean, they're getting paid well. They're, this is like their 20% project. I did have this thought like, why have nonprofits anymore? And I would love to hear your thoughts because I'm like, I'm very uneducated in this world. But I did think like, if so many people can work in this capacity, why not just, you know, give them more responsibility or let them take it actually, not make them, but let them take it. Yeah. I think that if there's a for-profit business model even if the organization is structured as a nonprofit, great, right? Like a theater, if it can sell enough tickets, generate enough revenues to cover the costs of the performances, like fantastic, right? Then everyone can focus their time and energy on the arts, creation of the arts, right? Rather than being distracted by having to go out and raise money, which is not directly, you know, creating good. So if there's a model there, great. I think that where NGOs or nonprofits are important is in the situations where you don't have, there is no for-profit model, right? If there's a massive earthquake in the world or you know a, mm. a, a devastating yes. humanitarian disaster, there isn't a for-profit model there. You, you just show up with nonprofits and philanthropic dollars and you, yeah, you know, it. And, there, and there are many other examples of, places where you just need philanthropic capital, you need nonprofits to address the, the, the issue at hand, because there isn't a for-profit model. I just think that if there is one, then you've got a fantastic, you know, capitalism at its best, right? And there's a lot of criticism of capitalism in our world today. And much of the criticism is rightly founded, right? Like how much regulation is appropriate, how much taxes is appropriate, how much do you let the free markets run wild? How much do you rein them in? All of those debates are very good to have. I'm just saying that in some situations like my company at Copia, we can take the best of capitalism and actually address social challenges at the same time. So why not do that? I love that. Okay, well, this is a perfect segue then into Copia. Tell me a bit about what was behind the you know founding of it and what is it? So Copia Global is essentially an e-commerce business based in East Africa that is focused on serving middle-income and low-income Africans, so the mass market. So it's not um, targeted at sort of wealthier customer based in a city, right? So if you lived in Lagos or Johannesburg or Nairobi, we wouldn't be serving you. It's more aimed at a mass market consumer who might live outside the city because they can't afford to live inside the city. So it's, we serve towns and villages um, in the surrounding areas. And the genesis of the idea, I think, was there's a lot of innovation around products to serve that sort of lower income consumer in Africa. But it's in my mind, I was sort of looking at these innovations and saying, okay, well, those are all really nice products, but the hard part is actually reaching these consumers. And if you look at, you know, the 800 million or so middle-income Africans who are all hardworking, they all make money, they're all spending money to run their family, you know, their households, 
but the global economy has largely left them behind, right? A, a lot of the innovation in the world is not targeted at that consumer. Largely, they're not even viewed as a viable consumer segment. And I think with the creation of mobile telephony, mobile phones becoming ubiquitous across Africa, it suddenly, in my mind, changed the, changed the equation where before I think it was incredibly difficult to profitably reach that consumer. Now with mobile phones in people's hands, it, it changed the, the, the math where we could actually create an e-commerce model that does work for that consumer. Got it. Okay. So if I'm trying to think about how to understand it, are you like a logistics company in a way where you're like, we have all the products, they're coming to our warehouses and then we're getting them to the places that could not be reached before? Yeah. Let me paint you a picture. Okay. So Perfect. if you're in a village in, in Kenya or Uganda, generally people in those areas might make $5 a day, $10 a day, $15 a day, something along those lines. You're largely buying from small mom and pop shops on the side of the road. There's no formal retail where you live. And generally what you can buy is very limited. There's not a lot of products there. You can buy, you know, sugar, flour, rice. You can buy some fresh produce at the fruit stand. You can buy some soap and some charcoal and some cooking oil, right? But it's pretty basic stuff. And it's quite expensive because they're little mom and pop shops have to go into the big town or city, buy things off the shelf, and then come back and stock their shelves, right? So if you live in an area like that, you're paying a lot of money for not a lot of choice, and the product quality is not that great, right? So a lot of inefficiencies there. So that's sort of just a picture of what the world currently looks like. So that consumer has a phone in his or her hand, but it's not a smartphone. Smartphones are out there, but generally this consumer can't afford data yet. So we can text message all day long. We can call <laughs> old school phone calls and SMSs, mm -hmm. um, but smartphones are still, it's a wave that's still yet to come and it's coming. We're seeing it coming, but it's, it's not yet hit. I remember that in India too. We would, uh, when I was on the maps team, it's like, yeah, people in India, they have smartphones, but they don't have data. So they still have the maps from like 2000 and... 15 or something. It's like we weren't actually able to push them new things, which, yeah, yeah it's a wild problem. So there are technology solution like workarounds around that, right? Where you can enable, um, we enable our customers to actually use our app in an offline way. And then when they have connectivity, they can, the orders can be sent and they can receive messages and stuff. But sorry, let me get to how it works. So we go out into an area, like a, a village or a town, sort of, you know, outside Nairobi, outside Kampala. And we find an existing shopkeeper to serve as a Copia agent. And we train them, we give them our app, we give them a physical paper catalog they can also use if a customer wants to view it that way. And then the customers in their area, if they want to call Copia directly, they can, or text message Copia directly, they can, or use Copia's app and directly order, they can. But if they don't feel comfortable doing that or they don't have the app, they can go to that agent's shop and the agent can place the order for them. So it's sort of a simple and elegant way to take an offline low-tech customer and enable them to have an e-commerce experience, right? Same thing with the payment. 
So they can pay through mobile money if they have mobile money, but if they don't, they can go to that agent shop and pay that agent with cash. And then the agent pays Copia with mobile money. So Copia is a tech company, but using the agent, we are enabling offline customers to actually interface with us. So we're definitely a B2C business, but if the customer needs that agent to hold their hand through the order process, that's fine. And the agents are all you know within a couple hundred meters of where the end consumers live. Then we get the orders and we have fulfillment centers, just like an Amazon fulfillment center and remote depots to extend our reach across the country. We have hundreds of delivery trucks. And within two days, we then deliver orders and the deliveries go to the agent shop. And that's part of what makes the economics fly is the agent serves as a safe, secure delivery point. And then the end customer gets a text message saying, hey, come by, pick up your product, pick up your order. It's at Messiah's shop right on schedule, you know. And by the way, we have a sale on such and such product. You know, you bought some baby products last week, you know, where this, these diapers are on sale this week or, you know, that kind of cross-selling and upselling and deepening the relationship with the end customer. So that's uh, largely how it works. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. First of all, tell me, I want to hear like, what do the faces look like of people who have not ever had access like that before, all of a sudden having a catalog of things that they can just place orders for? Like, tell me a, like, a one-on-one story of something that you witnessed. Yeah. Well, we had um, one moment where the board of directors was out in the field. Uh, we were meeting with some agents, talking to customers. We try and do that about every six months, just get out and, and talking to our end customers. And we were sort of standing in the middle of nowhere in this sort of grassy area in a, in a village and, you know, had our boots on and our jeans and stuff. And this motorcycle started like doing circles around us. It was a little bit bit like, what's happening here? What is this guy doing? Um, And then he stopped. He was sort of very excited and proud revving his motorcycle. And then he stopped and he said, I saved up my money. I was able to pay Copia in small amounts to save up to get this motorbike. And then once I bought the motorbike, then a motorbike in Africa is a business, right? Because then you can become a, like a courier, you know, moving things around. And so he suddenly had a new source of income. He said, so I saved up and then uh, I was able to save up so much from my new motorbike, you know, courier business that I could buy a mattress. So I bought a mattress from Copia and he said, and it's the first time my wife and I have had a mattress. And it has transformed our marriage. And then the board was like, oh, la, 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 la. We don't need to hear anymore. Thank you. <laughs> oh, wow. But it was um, a really good reminder of how a lot of our customers are motivated by, you know, they're, they're buying basic stuff, you know, day to day that they need to run their households. But those aspirational things like a motorbike, like a mattress, um, those are transformative. They change, change people's lives. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. 
Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. I love stories like that. And I can only imagine like how many you all have in your Rolodex of like things that are shared within the company. That's amazing. And how many people are in your team and how many are in effort? I'm just trying to think about like, how do you make all of this work? So we have about 1,900 employees now. Whoa. Wow. We have 42,000 agents, these small mom and pop shops that we've partnered with across Kenya and Uganda. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're, we're serving about more than half a million customers a month. Yeah, growing fast. We're sort of doubling in size. This year we'll more than double. Next year we'll double in size um, given the trajectory we're on. So that's amazing. Quite exciting. And that's just Kenya and Uganda. I mean, the obviously our ambition is to grow across the continent. So lots of, you know, massive opportunity for growth. I think we're sort of have a relevant model in all 54 countries, but sort of have the dozen or so next markets in our sites. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, have you all done any estimations on how you see this transforming the economy there? Like what impact it's already having or going to have? Because I'm just thinking of all the different ways. I'm like, oh, I'm sure so many women are getting lifted up through this and the communities are being, of course, impacted in huge ways, their whole economy. Like what have you all come up with uh, around some of those stats? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways to look at it. So the first is just, if we just look at the agents, 81% of them are women, which is not by design, but has ended up being the case. Women largely drive the informal economy in Africa and the informal economy drives GDP growth on the continent. The GDP is in, on the continent's growing incredibly fast, both from Population growth, the fact that the population is very young. Um, in, by 2050, one in four people on the planet will be African. And one in three of the work global workforce will be African. And the majority of that GDP growth is the informal sector, which is driven by women. And 75% of our customers are women. And I'm a woman. <laughs> Yep, yep. So we've got we've got quite a, a significant sort of gender empowerment story here, which was not something I set out to build, to be totally honest, but it has become that. That's very exciting. And then just to finish the agent story, our agents make a commission and everything sold because they become a partner with Copia. They still run whatever their original business was, if it was a fruit stand or a hair salon or anything in between. And so they end up increasing the foot traffic to their shop because of Copia and increasing their income. So they more than double their foot traffic. So then they go from um, making about $20 a day to making $35 a day, which is, you know, going from poverty to middle class in these places. So, and then for end consumers, you know, they're, you know, middle income, low income African families, their number one priority is price. They have to be very price conscious. So we, our brand promise is to be the lowest price provider in the market, which is obviously the most important thing to them. So yes, it's more convenient. And yes, we provide choice. And yes, our products are higher quality than they could otherwise access. But the most important thing is we make sure our prices are 
matching the lowest in the market. And that as long as we maintain that brand promise, then we have loyal customer base. So I think from the end customer's perspective, it's about the economic empowerment we can provide by lowering prices, much like, you know, Walmart in America is one of the best things that's happened to low-income Americans because Walmart has such incredible buyer power. They can drive down prices and pass on that savings to end consumers. Um, and we can we can provide the same kind of value to our our customers. Wow. So you see a lot of you know companies who of course look at a lot of markets and be like, I want to get in there. I mean, I always hear people talking about Latin America, obviously Africa, like Indians next billion plus users. But what do you see companies doing and getting wrong? Because I mean, to me, I oftentimes see companies going in and trying to implement exactly what they have in the US or whatever. And of course, it doesn't work. But like, what are maybe some unintended consequences that happen when people do it the wrong way? Or maybe some stories where you're like, we tried it this way, and we realized like it wasn't the right method, or we see this happening oftentimes, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. There are a couple of things that are sort of important to understand about Africa. And I think, uh, you know, these largely apply globally as well. But a lot of businesses think, oh, I can just take that model that worked in North America or worked in Europe, and I can just plunk it down in Africa, and it will work there too. Or I can plunk it down in Latin America, I can plunk it down in Asia, right? they don't realize that the characteristics of the African market are very different. So for example, if you look at our, look at the mass market, typical Copia customer, they don't have smartphones. They're largely unbanked and they don't have addresses. Like those are three basic ingredients you need for e-commerce, right? You need addresses, you need them to be able to pay and you need them to be able to interface with your website, right? And so you sort of have to rethink what does e-commerce mean in that context? Or, you know, there's a lot of fintechs in Africa. Now you have to really rethink what does banking mean in a context where your interface is only phones and energy, right? There's never going to be a grid in Africa. It's always going to be alternative energies because there's no reason to build a grid. So you need to sort of take lessons for sure. Like we have this amazing guy on our board called Jason Murray, who was at Amazon for a very long time. And he's so valuable to us. Like he's so interesting in learning from the way Amazon tackled North America and Europe, but it's a totally different context. So we have to, you know, think about that. The other thing I would say is Africa is 54 countries and every country is a little bit different. There, there's lots of similarities to, you know, Copia will work in the majority of those countries, but you also have to bring a giant slice of humble pie when you enter a new market and appreciate that you can't just you can't just copy and paste. You have to really appreciate the nuances, the differences that are relevant in each market. Mm -hmm. What are two countries that had a really large difference that maybe you and your team weren't expecting or that you know of and you haven't really maybe tried to enter that country yet in Africa? So we're in Kenya and Uganda now and we're heading to West Africa next. And so we've got boots on the ground sort of studying each of those markets. And then there are there are 10 additional markets beyond there where we're you know, doing all of the legwork to prepare for, for launch. And they're all just slightly different, right? Like some have much higher mobile phone penetration and cheaper data, right? Some have more expensive transaction costs. Some have more formal retail like South Africa. 
where, you know, when we enter that market, we'll only go to certain parts of the country because other parts have plenty of formal retail and don't need Copia's model. Each country has different road infrastructure that changes what you need to do in terms of the distribution system we built. So they're all just sort of subtle differences, but the underlying similarities are the very large population of middle-income consumers who are just have largely been neglected, largely been left behind, and they represent like $2 trillion of spending across the continent. It's just a massive opportunity with very similar needs um, in terms of the same kinds of things you and I buy to address our family's needs on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, yeah, it's very easy to take for granted the things that we have here and like the trust that we built up with systems, whether it be banks, our phones, you know, buying things from merchants, knowing that even if they don't give me the thing, someone else will reimburse me in a way. Like we have so many protective measures here to make sure our dollars don't get taken. And then when you go somewhere like that, I mean, I'm sure trust is a whole thing that you have to build up from the ground because. I'm sure it's a very different, you know, place there around like there's not much protection other than probably, you know, going to that shopkeeper and knowing, hey, I know you and you're not going to, you know, screw me over. That's really astute of you because, yeah, when we started, trust was the most important thing. I mean, the, the customers were like, I've never heard of Copia. Why, why would I transact? Whereas, you know, when you are from a place like the U.S., you know, when Pierre Omidyar started eBay, it was a it was completely trust based, right? Mm-hmm. We're like yeah. this stranger selling something and this stranger buying something, and then he, and it actually magically happened that money was sent to a stranger, and then a stranger would send a good to, right? Like that was a magical thing that that actually got off the ground, and it and it succeeded because we had all of that infrastructure behind that transaction, the rule of law, regulations a U.S. postal system that worked, right? Uh, It was all kinds of ways, consumer protections in place that don't exist in an African consumer's life. And so Copia, the brand, has to equate to trust. So in the early days, and and we're still early days, right? We're still tiny compared to where we'd like to, what we ultimately become. But building that trust and, you know, if we say we're going to deliver on Thursday at three, we better deliver on Thursday at three, right? That's part of building that trust and getting that trusted flywheel going where then you have word of mouth. And we're getting there. You see it happening with agents where agents are referring other agents. And then once an agent is in a town or a village, that agent is known by the people in that area. And so if that agent says Copia is legit, you should trust that you know their products are good their prices are good they deliver when they say they're going to that helps the flywheel amazing you have so many things to think about so many incentives you have to work out and psychology and wow, i mean it's super impressive what you built so where do you want to go now like what's next what's the next year or two what are you excited to get into other than what you've already talked about getting into other countries and expanding like what other cool things are you most excited about yeah so there's a couple Well, certainly geographic expansion, right? So we've talked about, you know, we're in East Africa now, we can still expand further in East Africa, but, um, you know, there are lots of very large markets across the continent. Um, 
you know, West Africa, a couple of markets in North Africa, and then, you know, lots in Southern Africa. So that's obviously the plan in the, in the coming few years. But beyond that, I think when you think about our customer, right, which has been so severely kind of underserved and their experience with the digital economy is largely limited to WhatsApp and Facebook, quite frankly, and now Copia. Um, We really have quite um, a wonderful platform upon which we can add not just basic household goods that we sell today, but we can expand into pharmaceuticals, for example, which is a massive opportunity. If you look at the way pharma is done today, about one in three pills in Africa are fraudulent. Wow. It's a massive opportunity for innovation, a massive opportunity for disruption. And if we maintain that trusted brand, then we're really well positioned to provide our customers with both over-the-counter health products, women's products, but also prescription drugs as well. So that's a really great opportunity for us next. Um, Financial services. If you look at for the banking system in Africa today is largely targeted at the, you know, the top 1%. The other 99% are largely unbanked or have very limited access to some fintech services. And so um, it's a very natural extension of e-commerce businesses around the world to add fintech offering to their customers. So that's obviously a good next step for us as well. Um, We're already processing millions of mobile money transactions every month, right? And a lot of moving what used to be cash transactions, right? Everyday cash transactions to digital transactions, which is transformative for the customers. So that's a really important next step for us as well. But you also have opportunities like, you know, 90% of our customers are small-scale farmers, just because if you're a middle-income, low-income African family, you're, you, you run a farm, in, you know, in your backyard. And so there's lots of opportunity for us to help them with agricultural products. Our customers build their homes one brick at a time. So just construction products, right, are another big opportunity And then um, technology, right? Technology products, getting more smartphones in the hands of these consumers is a wave that is hitting Africa right now. And we're sort of um, helping to sort of blow wind in the sales, which is also helpful to Copia because every customer that has a smartphone is a, a richer, deeper customer connection that we can make. Wow. So many things. Are you hiring? I mean, I feel like you need people. We, go people, go hiring. help Tracy. She just said she's working on a, like a thousand world problems right now. And like, let's send her a team. Yeah. I mean, we are sort of in a way spoiled for choice. And so our That's great. most important thing we can do right now is stay really focused. Stay focused on our current geographies, stay focused on our current product offering stay, you know, in the current capital markets environment, stay focused on, you know, hitting profitability, which I think will be the first e-commerce business in Africa to get there. It's amazing. I just said that out loud. So we better go it's do it. It's happening now. Manifest it's it. It's coming. It's got to happen it's now. the universe now. It has to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's exciting um, and, you know, gets us out of bed in the morning is just the potential 
to not only improve the lives of our end consumers with this, you know, profitable business model, but to think about the ways we can extend that relationship, deepen that relationship, um, and, you know, reach into sort of a larger component of their wallet than we currently do. Yep. Love it. Well, Tracy, this interview was awesome. Very eye-opening. I mean, like I said, I had not had a conversation like this before. So thanks for coming on here and being willing to go into all the basic things that you're like, duh, Steph, I know this. I knew none of it. And now I feel a lot more informed. So thank you so much. And until next time, where can our listeners learn more about Copia? Ah, well, um, www.copiaglobal.com. Reach out to any one of us on the team where I think all of our contact info is on the website. But such a pleasure to be here with you and an honor. And I'm so grateful that you are talking about this. And I think if I can leave you with one thought, it would be that Africa is a massive opportunity. It is growing so fast and there's so much innovation happening there. I really encourage everyone to you know, dive in and, um, and learn, come visit, come visit Copia. We'd love to show you around. Yes. <laughs> we'll take you on safari yes. um, as well. But um, just across the continent, the amount of entrepreneurship happening, the amount of technology growth happening, it's really astounding and, and super exciting to be a part of it. Amazing. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.